Quick disclaimer, there are some adult situations this week, as well as some stronger-than-usual violence. Please see the post on mythpodcast.com for more info. This week on Myths and Legends, we're back in the stories of 1001 Nights. We'll see that being turned into an ape and exiled is sometimes the preferable solution, and that if a party ends with everyone trying to murder you, well, that's apparently just a really great party. The creature this week is a giant folksy grasshopper who wants to murder you. This is Myths and Legends, episode 313, Party Down. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today, we're back in the tales of 1001 Nights. In general, I like to avoid multi-part episodes nowadays, but this one was... I too good. There are genies, people turning into apes, weird parties, it's just super fun. We wrapped up the larger narrative with Shahrazad a few months back, so we're just going to jump into the actual story with a porter, just a normal guy going to work, who's about to have a great day. Porter was a porter, and it was another day of being a porter. You carry some things to some places, you carry different things to others. That was the name of the game. Today was a good day, though. He had been sitting around with his crate, waiting for work, and a woman appeared. She was polite, friendly, and, to the porter at least, completely stunning. He carried his crate behind her as she piled her things in, watching her in a way that would have definitely creeped her out if she wasn't into it. She smiled back, and the pair talked as they walked through the market. When they arrived back at her house, she paid him for his services, but after she placed the money, her hand lingered. Did the porter want to come inside? The porter suddenly couldn't breathe. What? Wait, did that mean what he thought it meant? The wealthy woman shrugged. They'd see, wouldn't they? He nodded. But just as he was about to step into the house, she put a hand on his chest, telling him, quote, Whoso speaketh of what concerneth him not shall hear what pleaseth him not. The porter said he'd be real. He did not understand what most of that was. A lot of those words had THs at the end of them. That was some fancy talking. But if those were the terms and conditions to enter the house... The woman said it was simple. He would not speak of what he saw inside at all. Don't even ask. The porter shrugged. Sure, why not? Except he walked into the house. After an evening swimming in their pool and drinking wine with three women, there was a knock at the door. The porter had certain hopes for that night that we're not going to go into, But those hopes were confused as the crowd inside the house began to grow. There were three dervishes from Persia, wise men. To risk oversimplification, a dervish is someone who has chosen to accept material poverty for religious reasons. They're focused on love and service. Sometimes in folklore, they can perform miracles or have supernatural powers. In this instance, there were three dervishes who had been through a tough time. 
None of them had beards, and they all only had one eye. They all had no beards, and they all only had one eye. They looked and, well, frankly smelled like they had traveled a long distance. The four men looked at each other. What is up? The porter turned his head. Hey, did anyone else hear whispering from outside? Outside, the caliph, basically the ruler, was adjusting his hat and fake eyebrows. He turned to Jafar, his vizier. Hey, how did he look? Jafar sighed. Very good, sir. Why were they getting disguised to crash the small house party again? He was the caliph. He could be doing literally anything else. Like medieval absolute monarchy, no rules, no limits, plant a garden in the desert, eat a giant feast, bathe, anything. The caliph said this is what he wanted to be doing. These parties were wild, he thought. Who knows? No one would talk about them. It's like what happens in that one house on the outskirts of the city stays in that one house on the outskirts of the city. He had to know. Oh, be cool. Here she comes. Uh, yep, scroll, 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 accepteth, great, let's get weird, the caliph said. He introduced the room to his dad, Jafar. No relation to the vizier, Jafar. Jafar sneered, accepted the terms himself, and entered the party. The party was a party. It was fine, but the caliph, surveying the room, had to admit that Jafar had been right. He could have thrown a better party if he stayed home. For the guests... It was the caliph and Jafar, the male porter, and the three dervishes. For the hostesses, there was the mysterious owner of the house, a procuratrix, which, despite the way it sounds, was just a woman who managed the owner's affairs, and the last person was a porter, who happened to be a woman. Things did get weird, though, but not in the way that anyone had hoped. The caliph saw the owner bringing in two dogs. Puppies! Who's a good boy? Jafar, no relation to the vizier, get over here, pet this adorable dog, the caliph yelled. You aren't going to want to do that, the owner of the house said. Pulled out a rod and just started, and just started wailing on the dogs. The caliph was not cool with this. He loved dogs. That was horrible. After the dogs were beaten and before the caliph and Jafar could leave, the procuratrix started singing. It was... Nice, it wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. You'd never know that it wasn't terrible, though. Based on the reaction of the porter who was a woman, she started screaming, pulling at her hair, tearing her clothes. Ask what's going on, the caliph whispered to the porter who was a man. The porter said they all agreed not to talk about stuff that didn't concern them. It was kind of their deal why they were acting like this. They talked about this. It was like the one thing you shouldn't do. No, it's the one thing you should do. That's an order, the caliph demanded. The porter cocked his head. Wait, why was this man such a natural at giving orders? He looked past the hastily applied mustache over the caliph's beard and the anachronistic glasses. He noticed the gold-fringed clothes underneath, the ratty street attire that both the stranger and Jafar, no relation, wore. The porter gasped. Wait, he was the caliph? Ask what's going on. It'll be fine. I promise, the caliph said, and then had Jafar assume a battle stance in front of him. The porter preferred whatever punishment the women had in store to actively defying his caliph. He cleared his throat. The woman stopped singing, and the other stopped shrieking. Hi, um, what's going on? 
If he had known how quick or how violent the reaction would be, the porter probably would have just disobeyed the caliph. Immediately, enslaved men poured from an adjacent room, knives out, and made not just for the porter, but for the rest of the guests. Jafar the vizier was disarmed because he was an advisor and not a fighter, and the next instant, all six men had knives to their necks. The owner said there was one rule. Don't speak of something that didn't concern you and nothing bad would happen. The men couldn't even stick to that. The porter was about to note that the consequences laid out in the verbal agreement were that he, quote, shall hear what pleaseth him not. But there was a time to quibble about language in a contract, but that time is not when you have a knife to your throat. When the Almighty hath ordained a creature to die in a particular place, he causeth that creature's wants to direct him to that place. The owner didn't say. That's not a quote from the story. It's from the book Dune by Frank Herbert. Same vibe, though. She was curious. There was an eclectic group here. They had two normal merchants who were completely normal in every way and not royal. The caliph nodded, nailed it. They had three wise men, but the dervishes. And they had a porter. All had stories that led them there, to this house, to die together. But they might not die. That was up to them. If each man told the story of how he came to this place and it pleased the women, they would be set free. The men looked at each other. They were going to take the deal, right? All of them nodded, giving themselves the tiniest of shaves. The porter was worried his story wasn't interesting enough. The caliph and Jafar were worried about being outed as the rulers of the city, but then a voice spoke up from the back. It was one of the dervishes. He would do it. He would tell his story first. He swept his hair to the side, showing his patch. He would tell the story of how he had his beard shaven and he lost one of his eyes. We'll hear the story of the first dervish, but that will be right after this. Prince walked from the graveyard. His cousin, his cousin was gone. Wait, are you the cousin? The caliph butted in. The dervish said, how could I be the cousin? I was the prince, my dad was a king. The caliph, wow. That happened then. Royalty not being royalty anymore? Chilling. All right, go back to talking about your dead cousin. The dervish said his cousin wasn't dead. Not really he had just needed a wingman. Long ago, the prince, aka the dervish, had received a message from his cousin, saying that he was in urgent need of serious help. It was an emergency come immediately. The prince, the dervish, immediately left his father's kingdom for his uncles to find his cousin completely okay. He just needed someone who was cool, who wasn't going to snitch. His cousin, he could be cool, right? He was a cool guy? The prince said, yeah. What did he need help with? The cousin said that he was in love or lust. Who knows the difference, am I right? The dervish said that most people could probably parse it out, but what did his cousin need help with? The cousin said, well, he needed some help with getting together. The prince inhaled, wow, okay, he thought his uncle would have walked the cousin through all this, but sure, okay, uh, when a man and woman love each, nope, nope, I know that. 
I just need someone to mind the door, the cousin said, or rather close the door. The prince, the future dervish, sighed. Whew. The door of the graveyard, the cousin beamed. The prince said, oh, okay, it was back to being weird again. That night, in the graveyard, the three stood outside a sepulcher. And yeah, the three. The prince met his cousin and a hooded woman outside a grave. The pair walked in the tomb, said a few words, and then spotted a golden handle on one of the stones. The cousin lifted the stone, revealing a stairway down into the darkness. He said all he needed was his cousin, the prince, to close it from the outside. He would take care of the rest, wink. The prince, the dervish, asked, was his cousin sure? The cousin put his arm around the waist of the hooded stranger. Oh yeah. So the future dervish, the prince, did as he was asked. He replaced the stone and he left. Cemeteries were creepy. The prince was out of town the first thing the following morning. The cousin had never come home that night and the king had the guard out searching for him. The slab in the graveyard where the prince stopped on his way out of town was just a slab, no handle. It looked like it had been resting in the same place for decades. There was some supernatural weirdness going on and the prince was not gonna stick around for it. He made for home immediately and when he got there, he was arrested. As it turned out, his father, the king, his vizier had turned against the king, betraying him and murdering him in his sleep. It was a bloodless coup for the vizier. There was a lot of blood for both the king and anyone who stayed loyal to him. A number that declined precipitously when they saw just how brutal the ends were for the others. The prince returned to his own execution. But first, the vizier was gonna pay the prince back for something. The prince, as a kid, had been playing with a crossbow and seeing a bird flying in front of a crowded room full of his dad's work friends, shot at the bird. The arrow definitely missed the bird when it hit the vizier's eye. I'm not gonna say the king deserved to be deposed, but if your employees are losing eyes because your kids are playing around your office with crossbows, that's not a great work environment. Some things need to be reevaluated there. The vizier was not the forgiving type though. He was totally into the concept of an eye for an eye, so he took one of the princes. As for the young man's life, well, he would just take that on credit. The prince was led outside to the mass grave of his father and all those who had remained loyal. He knelt down and, weeping, began singing a sad song. This was truly a welling up of the emotion he felt losing his parents, his friends, and his home, and it landed. The hardened killers who purged the palace of any remaining loyalties to the previous king, it moved them. The story, that is. They looked at each other and both knew what the other was thinking. The prince, who was waiting for death, felt a tap on his shoulder. Go on, get out of here. You hear me? Go on, get. They wouldn't add to his sad song today. The prince was not gonna ask questions, but he took off, back toward his uncle's kingdom. The two men smiled. They did a good thing today. Besides, it was just one sad kid. What could be the harm? Well, they were executed the moment they returned home. The prince, however, made it to his uncle's kingdom, who, yeah, was still searching for his son. The prince sighed. It had been weeks. The son was either gone from underneath the sepulcher or worse. 
the, I don't know, bro code or whatever kept the prince from telling the king, it no longer applied. He led the king to the graveyard. The team of servants pulled up the stone to reveal the staircase down into the dark. Prince and his uncle descended. They were hit by the smell of smoke before they saw the devastation. The entire stone structure underground had been gutted by flame. The prince feared the worst. Those fears were confirmed when they found the pair of bodies in the burned bed, the bodies being little more than ash husks themselves. A fire had broken out, likely from a candle, and devastated the caves. The uncle dropped to his knees and wept, and the prince nodded, rubbing him on the back. He couldn't imagine the pain of losing a child. Then, the uncle took off his shoe and began beating the body of his son, screaming that he had been punished in this life and he would be punished in the next. The prince was a little more confused by this. The uncle, through tears, said he had lost both of his children in this place. The prince said he only lost one child? His son and the woman his son was... <gasps> oh... The uncle nodded and buried his face in his hands. He had tried to keep them apart. Now, now they were gone. The uncle, who just lost both of his children, was in no shape psychologically to repel the army of the vizier when he came looking for the prince. He cried right up until the vizier put him to the sword for harboring the prince. The prince, though, had managed to escape. He clawed himself out from under a pile of bodies, cut his beard to hide his identity, and traveled by night to Baghdad for help. That was where he met these two men. Wow, perfect stopping point too. Blends seamlessly into the next story. You're free to go, the hostess said to the first dervish. The enslaved man removed the knife from the dervish's throat. The man said, what? He was free just like that? The woman shrugged, just like that. Great story. She pointed to the second dervish. You. You met this guy. What's your deal? The first dervish raised his hand. Hey, could he actually stay and listen to the other stories? Now that his was finished, the pressure of not dying was off, and he would really like to hang out and hear these. The woman shrugged. Yeah, sure. Grab something to eat and settle in. The second dervish, wide-eyed because his life literally depended on the story, swallowed hard and began. <laughs> The prince, not the first prince, but this dervish was also formerly a prince, was having a week. First, he had to follow his dad's orders to travel to another court in India. That was super far. That was terrible. It was the worst. A few weeks later on the road, he learned that it was not, in fact, the worst when his group was attacked, everyone else was killed, and he was robbed, beaten, and left for dead. Countless kilometers from home, without a dinar to his name, a month later, the prince staggered into a city. He didn't even know what land he was in. He struck up a conversation with the first person who would talk to him, a tailor. He said he needed to make money. And after a day or so, he confided in the man. He was a prince. Could the tailor help him get home and get all of his stuff back? The tailor said he wanted to help. He really did. He couldn't, though. The king who ran the city was the prince's dad's worst enemy. The tailor was risking his life, even giving the man aid. The tailor asked, did the prince have any skills with which he could earn a living? The prince said, yes. He studied literature in school. He was a poet. Okay, so no. 
the tailor replied. Just say no next time. He handed the prince an axe, telling him to go to the forest and work as a woodcutter, save up enough money to get home and tell no one of his lineage. The prince thanked his new friend and traveled off into the forest. We'll see what the prince finds in that forest, but that will, but that will once again, be right after this. He spent a year learning hard lessons and living by the work of his hands and knew he was supposed to feel some pride and junk, but really, he just missed the palace, he missed bathing, he missed perfumes and good food. This was miserable, and there was no end in sight. How does everybody live like this? Grumpy and grumbling, he ventured further from the other woodcutters. One day, he started working at a stump. A stump is like a short tree that couldn't fall on you and kill you. And after he dug most of it out, he noticed something. That root had a golden ring attached to it, a handle. He was not super well-versed in nature and stuff, but he thought that that's not something that usually happened. He gripped the handle and pulled, and it revealed a carved descending stairway. At the bottom, something glowed. This was the first interesting thing that had happened to the prince in a year, so he went on down. And in the palace deep underground, he saw her, a woman. Let's pretend the story introduced her by her wit and personality, and not several very specific physical characteristics. The two talked. The prince explained his story. Hers, though, was worse. She was a princess of the Ebony Islands. I don't think they're a real place, and she had been married off to a cousin. Not an uncommon occurrence, but on her wedding night, she had been kidnapped by an afrit. Definitely an uncommon occurrence. An afrit is to risk being overly simplistic, something akin to an evil genie or a demon. If you're thinking about it like a D&D alignment chart, genies are pretty neutral, at least in my readings, but afrit are nearly always evil. Anyway, she had been there for just about 25 years, so she was pushing 40. And yes, it was horrifying. Every 10 days, the afrit stopped by for a night and... Yeah. He left enough food and drink for her, covering all her needs and she was alone about 90% of the time. She pointed to the slab by the door. All anyone had to do was touch that slab, and the Afrit would be there instantly. The prince said, that was terrible. Why didn't she leave? Uh, she said she had no idea where she was, and what if she made it to the city? What then? The Afrit would burn it down in retaliation? She didn't need that on her conscience. The prince said he wished there was something he could do to help her. The woman put her hand on his. Well, the Afrit left four days ago and wouldn't be back for five more. She did a little suggestive eyebrow waggle. He said, that sounded pretty boring. Did she have like a book or something? The woman, the princess, said she was very lonely. She had never been with a human before. The prince shrugged. Well, they were here now talking. Honestly, humanity wasn't all it was cracked away she grinned, nodded, and the pair kissed.
It was a day of many firsts for the prince. First time finding a secret genie lair. First time trying wine. Other things we won't describe in detail. I love you, the prince said, his goblet sloshing. The princess said they didn't need to put a label on things just yet. This was a fun way for her to relax. Babe, 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 look, the prince swayed. I'll be real. I don't like this guy. The princess said she didn't either. He ri- You shouldn't have to stay here. You shouldn't have to go through any of this. She said, yeah, she totally agreed with that, but he was an afrit. He kidnapped her on her wedding night from a palace, and no matter where she went in the world, he would find her. He was all-powerful and immortal. The prince, really feeling the wine, put his finger over her mouth. He picked up a lampstand, feeling the heft, and said, Let me be your hero. When she realized what was going on, she tried to stop him, but he had a running start at the stone. The stone that summoned the Afrit. The prince, overserved with liquid courage, was going to call the Afrit there and kill him. So that's how I became an ape, the dervish said. The room said, wow, that's a smash cut. The dervish said he didn't want to drag things out, but yeah, he ran away immediately. All powerful evil genies? Turns out they're very scary. But turns out he left his sandals and axe in the underground palace. The Afrit, summoned home, tortured the princess, but she was no snitch. The Afrit, though, could transform into a human, and he arrived in the city saying, helpfully, that he found an axe and sandals in the forest and wanted to return them to their rightful owner. The prince didn't fall for the ruse, but he didn't have to. The other woodcutters knew the co-worker's axe and said it belonged to the guy who was living with the tailor. The floor to the tailor's shop split open underneath the prince, revealing a fiery realm. The Afrit dragged him before the princess, still tied up and bloody, and though neither of them talked, the Afrit killed her because he knew she had been unfaithful to him. But I mean, there's a lot to unpack with that concept. It's obviously a massive double standard. The Afrit wasn't sure the prince was the man who was in the palace, but he couldn't just let the man go. Those were still apparently his axe and sandals after all. So he turned the man into an ape and stranded him. When the ape flagged down a ship, the sailors aboard asked their captain to let them shoot it with an arrow. Let them throttle the ape. Let them drown it. The captain said they needed to talk about all this. He knew apes were bad luck, but yikes, guys. The ape had asked for help, which is noteworthy because it's an ape, so they were going to give the ape safe passage. Fifty days later, they arrived at a city teeming with people, but as soon as they landed, they were boarded. The vizier of the city was dead. The king had decreed that anyone who rode as well as him would be the new vizier. They passed around paper, Everyone wrote a line, and the messengers collected it. Who is the ape? Is that a nickname? The king asked as he read over the poem the ape wrote. It was beautiful. It is the one time an education in poetry has led to a career advancement in the history of the earth. The ape was, as it turned out, the ape, our protagonist. And he had the only penmanship and intelligence that got close to the old vizier's. The king looked at the actual ape that stood before him. Well, a decree is a decree, 
Sure. Ape Vizier. Why not? The ape was something to see, too. The prince had been trained in all courtly stuff. He could write, play music, play games with the king, give him war strategy advice. Things were going well. Then his daughter entered the room, veiled. The king asked what her deal was. It was just him. She didn't need to wear that. She pointed to the ape. That ape was no ape. That ape was a man. So, more deep into the story. But the daughter was apparently a witch. Her tutor when she was growing up was a witch and taught her witchcraft. She could see through the magic of the Afrit. And this guy here? Well, this guy was a guy. So can you change him back? The king asked his daughter. The daughter said, yeah, technically, but it wouldn't make them happy. The king didn't hear any of that cosmic consequences nonsense. Change him back, that was an order. He turned to the ape. What could go wrong? He two-faced me! That demon two-faced me! The king screamed through half of his mouth. He tried to put out the cosmic fire that spread over half of his face and beard. He, yeah, had been two-faced, with half of his body burned. The ape was shrieking. He got an ember to the eye and lost it. The daughter, well, the daughter had gone full Gandalf, fighting the demon that appeared as a result of the ceremony. She had just gone up in the sky in a cavern deep in the earth. The rest of the palace was in the process of burning down. Things were not going well. It started off well, as evil ceremonies go. The ape had watched the potion form in the woman's hand. The king was smiling. Then they had company. The demon that the daughter communed with to get her powers was not cool with how she was trying to reverse his bro's curse. They got into a massive battle. She turned into a giant snake, him a scorpion, her an eagle, him a vulture, him a cat, her a wolf. He spewed fire and escaped into a stream and she followed, fighting him. They emerged and, in a last act of defiance, the demon exploded. The ape dove before the king and the pair shared the damage. The daughter, though, took all of hers. As she coughed, magic fire arrow in her chest, she dragged herself over to the ape and revealed the water. The potion. She sprinkled it on him, his hair fell out, its face rearranged itself a bit, and his thumbs became opposable. He was healed, well, all except for the eye. The princess, though, was dying, and she looked directly at the camera told the children not to dabble in witchcraft because this is what happens. You accidentally two-face your dad and you burn to death. And then she did just that. She slowly burned alive because she did witchcraft. And in case this story is too subtle, it really wants you to know that witchcraft is bad. The king was in bed for a month. And while his face would never heal, his beard did grow again, for those of you who are worried about that. As for the prince, though... The king couldn't even look at the man. They had been happy before he arrived in his ape form. He ordered the prince to leave and never come back. And if he did, he would have the man executed. So the man wandered to Baghdad, where he met up with the other two. That was his story. The hostess took a deep breath. Okay, okay. Little, little tropey. The characters who were women were a little disposable, but compelling enough story, he could live. 
well, unlike all the women in his story. The hostess turned to the porter who was a man. All right, well, they had court intrigue and incest to rival Game of Thrones in one story, and transmogrification and giant magic battles in the next. Let's mix things up a bit, she pointed to the porter. You go next. The porter, a completely normal guy who did grocery shopping, said, wait, me? The hostess said that's what you go next means. Yes. The porter swallowed hard and began his story. We'll resume the stories next week and see what happens when the tables are turned on the hostess and her sisters. If you're liking Myths and Legends and want to support the show, there's a couple ways to do that. One, there's a membership thing on the site. And for Apple Podcast listeners, you can try Myths and Legends Plus straight through the app. Either way, for less than the price of tiny lobster hands, you can get ad-free versions of the show and bonus episodes that aren't tiny lobster hands. You can't even use your phone with tiny lobster hands. Though, I don't know. I'm spending more time away from tech, and maybe that's a good thing. There's only one thing people need to use their phones for, and that's listening to podcasts, and you're already doing that. For more info on the membership, check out mythpodcast.com slash membership. The creature this week is the Hakapainizi, from the legends and the traditions of the Kwaisu people in North America. Now, if a human-sized grasshopper comes walking toward you, all folksy with its cane and pack slung over its shoulder, singing about the good old days, you might think that, wow, this grasshopper is a trustworthy guy, straight out of a 1930s Disney cartoon. Little do you know, though, he hides destructive and problematic views and motivations, like a 1930s Disney cartoon. All that folksy nonsense and the singing... That's to lure you and any other human into a false sense of security, so he can stuff you in his backpack, take you home, and devour you. Even worse, he prefers to eat children. He'll walk up to a child, cough up mucus in his hand, and say, Come get this fat, child. Because cold, lumpy fat is every child's favorite treat, children will be swayed, get close enough to be snatched, and then taken back to his home in Nevada to be eaten. Don't have him over for a sleepover either, because... For two young women who gave the creature a place to sleep at night, staying intentionally far away, he gleefully accepted their hospitality before stretching and using these spikes on his arms and legs to skewer them through their heads. Yeah, yikes. You can defeat him, but I'm not sure how effective it is, since he's died at least twice. In the first, an angry man pursued him, and he kept bursting into grasshoppers. Undeterred, the man smashed every single grasshopper and... At the end, found the body of the giant. Another time, he was killed by Mouse, who offered him one of his children, but said that the grasshopper had to open his mouth and close his eyes. The child, of course, turned out to be a hot coal. The grasshopper, either, according to one source, burned alive, or another, turned to stone. Couple lessons. If someone offers to let you eat their family members, but makes you open up and close your eyes, that's an obvious trap. Additionally, why are you eating children? Don't do that. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free. And the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. 
There are links to more of the music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.